Great. Well, uh, good morning, everybody. How are we today? A little warm out. I told the first service, might be warm out, but you always know OCC Auditorium is going to be 55 degrees. So, a nice, cool place to come. Uh, wow, what a powerful time of worship this morning. I mean, there are just some worship experiences where you just feel like the roof's going to blow off. And that was, you know, God was definitely moving as we were singing this morning. I mean, how about the air I breathe, huh? When was the last time we, we uh, dusted that one off and, uh, and sang it? You see, um, particularly for the, the young folks over here, we used to have these things called CDs. We'd carry them around in cases. Sometimes we had cases that had multiple CDs, little pockets in them. And somehow that, remember Wow Worship that that one was on? <laughs> Who had the Wow Worship series? Yeah. Somehow that ended up stuck in um, a CD player that I had, and I just remember that, the Air I Breathe song over and over again. And there were moments where, you know, I, like God was just doing something in that song. So um, special to hear that again this morning. Um, well, my name is Dan. For those of you who haven't had an opportunity to meet, I'm one of the leaders here at Ocean City Church, and I'm just excited to be with you in this James series that we've been doing, and we laugh a little bit when we talk about that series, because we did start it in May, and I preached the first sermon on it uh, back in towards the end of May. Uh, and then we've had some guest speakers over the summer, so we've um, diverted from that a little bit, but now for the past um, few weeks, we've been back in um, James again. And we're going to be doing the second um, half of, uh, of chapter two of James Today, So if you remember, just kind of set some context about James and these verses that we're going to look at today. If you remember, James is the brother of Jesus, um, and he's speaking to um, Jewish Christians that have been dispersed um, within the church. James was a, a leader in the early church in Jerusalem, and we talked about James being a very practical book, meaning that we're not going to get into this deep exposition of what the gospel is or these deep kind of theological um, ties, but it really is just how we live and how we think and what we do. And so it's very practical from that standpoint, but it makes it a difficult book to read and to preach because if you're like me, we all want to believe that we have true faith, right? We all want to believe that we, um, that we, what we confess is, is actually true of how we live our lives. But for me, and maybe for you too, I know often when I think about the things that I confess and then I look at the way that I live my life, they're not always consistent. When I look at the, what I confess about God's love and, and my love for people and how I treat people sometimes, it's not consistent. Um, oftentimes what I confess to be hoping in versus what it may appear or what I'm actually hoping in with my life are not always consistent. And so as we take a look at James, we're going to be answering this question today of what, what is true faith? And James um, talks about this and he kind of sets up chapter two at the very end of chapter one, which is where we're going to start today. So James 1.27, he says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure. And, and just a quick note, when he, when he mentions the word religion here, it's not in the contemporary sense that we think about the word religion, like world religions or many religions. He's really talking about faith. So faith or religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, in, in their distress 
and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is what true faith is that James says. And so I believe he puts this kind of declarative statement out there, but then he, he, what he does in chapter 2 is he begins to unpack that. And the first thing Mike Berry talked about last week was he said, he said don't show favoritism to other, don't show favoritism. Don't treat a rich person with honor and dignity and respect. But you do that for that person, the same thing you wouldn't do for a poor person. And then, you know, when you start to get under the layers of that favoritism, and Mike talked about it last week, right? The check engine light. Like, we, you see things like racism. You see sexism. You see all these, all the isms that we think about are things that people gravitate to because of what James is talking about in chapter 2. And he also, after that, so he says, don't show favoritism. And then he goes on to say, um, don't give empty hope to a person that is struggling. Don't give empty hope to a person that's struggling. Specifically, if we look at 2, beginning in, in, um, in verse 14, he said, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? And then he goes into the example. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and, and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? And I'm like, wow. If I really read that and I'm honest, like I tell people often, I'll pray for you. But A, do I even really pray for them? And two, which I do. If there's anybody here, I've told you I'm going to probably pray for you. <laughs> but two, is it really just sending people on their way? When there's, is that really... Is that, what good is that? What good is faith without deeds? Now, when in this section of Scripture in James chapter, chapter 2, we talk about faith and deeds. And when you hear those words, there's typically two camps that we, one of two camps that we fall into, faith and deeds. Does it make you like, ooh, do you kind of sink when you hear that? Or are you like, yeah. Well, the first camp is the camp that ignores it. So... We ignore it because we feel that it's inconsistent with our understanding of justification, right? And we talk about that all the time here. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. And so there's nothing we can add to that. There's nothing that I can go out and do that's going give to give me any greater favor with God or put me out of sorts with God because Jesus paid it all. And so we ignore the faith and deeds thing because... We think that it's inconsistent with justification, or we use it as a standard by which we feel the whole world should be judged, right? They say they're a Christian, but there's no, there's no deeds, so their faith must be dead, right? How many times has someone quoted the scripture, you faith without works is dead? The emphasis on the works, right? They, we don't see the works, and so we either use it, we either dismiss it, or we use it as a way to judge other people. So again, we're talking about what is true faith. The unpacking of James in this, in this second chapter culminates at the end of the chapter in verse 24 when he says this. And, and quickly, I mentioned this in the first service, but it's just kind of a side note on why you see sometimes different translations that we, we, we use when we teach. So I'm, 
I'm using um, the ESV version for this particular verse, but the rest of the verses are from the NIV. NIV is a phrase-by-phrase translation of the original language. ESV is a, is a word-by-word translation. But you'll hear Derek or the rest of the team and I, like, sometimes we'll use different, um, uh, different translations because of specific wording in there that we feel like emphasizes a point um, maybe better than another does. And that's just, that's different verse to verse. But both NIV, ESV are great, great versions that can be trusted of the Bible. So um, this, is, this is ESV because of this word justified, and you'll see why I'm using that in a second. So he says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, when I don't know about you, but when I read that, I, like alarms start going off in, in my mind. Because we know that the whole of Scripture, what the whole of Scripture teaches is that we're justified by faith, right? Justified by faith, not by works. Think about very specific verses that we can go to that talk, talk, talk about that. So who does James think that he is saying, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone? And it looks like we've got a major contradiction here in the text, specifically between Paul. Paul, again, he's the one that shapes our understanding of justification by faith in, in the book of Romans. And now James who we established already as the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And so he's saying we're justified by works. Paul's saying we're justified by faith. So before we get to answering what true faith is, we have to ask the question, does the Bible contradict itself? Because I think some of us get left there in that spot of, well, I can't make sense of it because this is saying that and this is saying this. So we walk away from it. But is the Bible reliable or is this just another example of inconsistencies that we feel like we see uh, in, in Scripture. It only feeds our skepticism or other skepticism of God's Word. Is there a problem with the credibility and the re- reliability of God's Word? And to understand what's going on here, we have to look at this word justify. This word justify. It's used in two different cases. And so um, let's look first at what Paul says about being justified. We find that in Romans 3.28. says, For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. We maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from works in the law. So now let's bring James' verse back into it. We have kind of a split screen here where you can see both of them. So Paul says, For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Now, James says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. On the surface, it appears that we have two verses that are saying completely opposite things. And when this happens, we must interpret Scripture with Scripture. And for this, we must understand specifically how this word justified is being used in both of these cases. I think we all know what the word justified means, right? It means that it means that we are made right with God. We're being declared right with God. The question here is, is that done by faith or is that done by works? We have two ways that the same word is being used here. Two ways in which this this same word justified is being used here. So in the one sense, 
we're justified is like a judge um, declaring that a person is, is justified or free. Like it's, it's a legal declaration that a judge would give on a case. But then there's another way that the word is used, and that's just, and that's in order to say that something is true, then you need to justify it. So I use the example in the first service, today's the first of August, Friday was the last business day of the month, and so I had to do an expense report. Any expense report doers out there? Yeah, get those receipts. Well, why do you need the receipts? So you have to justify your expenses. You have, to, you have to say to your company, hey, there's a reason that I spent this money on this thing, and here's the receipt to justify that that ex- expense was as it should have been. So you can see two, di- two very different ways in which the word justify can be used. This is di- and that's different than how a judge would justify us in a legal sense. So in Romans, where Paul's speaking, and in James, where James is speaking, we're getting a declaring justification, like a judge would give, and we're getting a prove-it justification. And this is happening because the context, the groups, the, the status of the church, that what's happening in the context are very different. So let's take a look at that. First, let's look at the context that Paul was speaking into. So if we, we're in 3.28, um, but if we back up a little bit to the, to the beginning of 3, we'll, we'll see a little bit of an explanation to that. So see, in Jewish tradition, you have laws. You have the Ten Commandments, the Mosaic Law. And then you have hundreds of ceremonial laws that, were, that were, uh, the Jewish people were required to follow in order to be in right standing with God. So moral laws, the Mosaic Law... Um, ceremonial laws, lots of Jewish laws. And then Jesus comes and changes all of that. He says that I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. But you still had those that were trying to apply those Jewish uh, traditional laws to the work of Christ. So they were saying, Christ is great, we follow Christ, but you need to add these other things to it in order to be right or declared justified by God. So let's start uh, here in verse 20. It says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So it's clear that's the purpose of the law. It's to show us that we could never live up to the law. But now, apart from the law, The righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified justified freely by his grace, the the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood, to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So as to be just, we talk about God being just, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. 
So Paul is going right at those who are trying to add, to the, add the law to the finished work of Christ. He's going right at them saying, look, there's a, there's a righteousness from God apart from the law that's been made known and given to you, and it's in this person, Jesus. He goes on to say in 27, he says, where then is boasting? It is excluded because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So kind of everything that led up to the the verse that we talked about before. So that's the context of Paul. He's speaking to people that in their tradition, they're trying to add to the finished work of Christ in order to be right with God. So let's look at the context of James. We look at James as a whole, and based on what we know is happening in the church during that time, um, that he's responding not, not to people that were trying to drag us back into the law, but now, just like everything else over throughout the course of history, the pendulum has swung the other direction. And so now you have people that aren't abusing the law, now you have people that are abusing grace. The people that say, all you got to do is believe, and then you do whatever you want to do. Just believe, and then go do whatever you want to do. Well, that's definitely a swing from where we were on using the law to be justified, but it also it, but it dismisses um, the, the law as well. So maybe like you, I was... My college buddies would laugh at me for this, but I was probably caught on more than one occasion quoting the Apostle Paul, where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Did you ever say that? Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Where sin increases, grace increases. Just this attitude of I can really go and do what I want to do because I am in him and will get more grace if, if I sin. Maybe I was the only one that did that, but... Uh, I know you've done it just subtly. You didn't actually speak it out loud like I did to people. Um, So here's just a quick diagram, and it's nothing glamorous about it. But on one end, you have legalism. So legalists continue to live under the law, believing God's approval somehow dependent on their their conduct, what I do um, uh, in terms of actions. And then on the other end of that, you have what's called licentiousness. Licentious people dismiss the law, believing that they are under grace, and God's rules don't matter much. So James is speaking to the licentious audience, the audience that says, it doesn't matter what I do, I'm covered by the blood. So understand that we have two different contexts, begins to bring the two verses that seemed like complete, saying two completely opposite things, it starts to bring them more into focus. What's interesting, though, especially when we talk about Paul, is that he actually spoke to the same group of people that James is talking to. If we think about Romans 5, which is really the, kind of the pinnacle of, of, um, of Paul's ministry, um, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And we preach that. Everybody says amen, goes home. But Well, you go down a little bit. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. We like that, right? We like that message. That there is, and, and we believe that. 
you can't out the grace of God. We do believe, I mean, that's why we, when we talk about here at Ocean City Church, we talk about an ocean of grace because that's the only context with which we can think about the grace of God is that it's deeper and bigger and more abound than the ocean. But sometimes we think here a little more sin, a little more grace. So this is how chapter 5 ends. Well, the first verse of chapter 6 goes like this. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? What does he say? By no means. With an exclamation point. By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. I love that. I love how he says that, that we're buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we might be raised to what? New life. So Paul's preaching against those who wanted to add on to the work of Christ, but he's also preaching to those who wanted to take liberty with the grace of God. Um, As you look through the story of Paul, I mean, we could go into lots of verses this morning that that would unpack his story on, the, on who, he, who and how he spoke to his audiences. But it's a story that's much fuller than just we're saved by grace through faith. And now you can just sit back and relax and rejoice in the finished work of Jesus. It's much more, much fuller than that. And there are many other places where Paul speaks to this. In Romans 8, which we love Romans 8, we talk about Romans 8 all the time. It says, the Spirit testifies that we're his children If we're his children, then we're heirs. And if we're heirs, we're not only heirs with God, but we're co-heirs with Christ. And then he says, if. Like, we love the heirs part. We're we're declared his children. We're his heirs. We're co-heirs with Christ, comma, if. We indeed, uh, if indeed we share in his sufferings. If indeed we share in his sufferings. We don't think about if in our traditions. We're like, that's it. That's the finished work of Jesus if we continue to share in his sufferings. Galatians 5, probably familiar with this one. Freedom in, for its um, freedom that you've been set free. And he goes on to say, don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh, but rather use that freedom that you've been given to serve and love one another, not for selfish gain. So we have two contexts here. We begin to see that James and Paul aren't, aren't maybe as far off from each other as we thought they were just by looking at the verses in the outset. But we love, we love talking about justification by faith, don't we? I mean, Martin Luther is one of my favorite people in the, the church and throughout history, and it was one of his big things was justification by faith. But I think one of the reasons we love to talk about it is it kind of lets us off the hook a little bit, doesn't it? Let's us off the hook a little bit. And, and again, we, we talk about the ocean of grace around here. So James, so the question is, does James believe that, our, that we are saved by works? If we go back and look at chapter 1, he makes it clear that he doesn't believe this. So as we 
Look at, look at chapter 2. We go back to chapter 1 and see one of the things that he said there. This comes from um, the de- talk that Dave gave a few weeks ago in James 1.16. He says, Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth. It's key. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. He chose to give us birth. But what James is saying then in chapter 2, based on what he says in chapter 1, is that new birth, it should change everything. It should change everything about who we are and what we do. Paul talks about this too, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, right? The old is gone. And the new has come. The old is gone and the new has come. So based on this new birth that James talks about, it should go on to how we, it should change everything in how we live that he talks about in chapter 2. Louis Giglio says it like this in, in one of his talks on James. He says, new identity produces new activity. I love that. New identity produces new activity. New Identity should produce new activity. When you become a new creation, things should look different, right? Trevor Lawrence is going to be playing for the Jags this year, not the Clemson Tigers. It's a different uniform. New new purpose, new activity, new team. The thing is, with, with activity and identity, if you lose one, you lose both of them. If you lose one, you lose both. And here's the reason why. Because if you have activity without identity, so I'm busy doing my thing, social justice warrior, but there's no identity, right? It's not rooted in who God says that you are or who God is, then it'll never be enough. You'll always keep going after more because your, your righteousness, your right standing before God is always going to be in the things that you do or the things that you don't do. So you're either... You're either full of pride or full of guilt if you have activity without identity. If you have identity but no activity, your identity may be in the wrong thing. I often, you know, when I'm talking to people, often hear people talk about a prayer that they prayed many years ago, but there's no fruit in their life. You ever talk to people like that? The fruit or the activity is the justification, right? That's what justifies the change and and shows that the identity is rooted in him. So don't rest on a prayer that you said years ago. If there's nothing of evidence that justifies your being rooted in God with your life. There's a quote that comes from the Jesus Bible. So... Jesus Bible is it's an NIV version of the Bible that has a commentary associated with it that was written by a lot of the Passion City Church folks. Um, and I loved when the section where they talk about James, they end with this. He says, a person's faith is shown to be legitimate when their outward works display the inward change that has taken place as a result of their conversion. Faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is never alone. Read it again. A person's faith is shown to be legitimate when their outward works display the inward change that has taken place as a result of their conversion. 
Faith alone saves. Faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is never alone. You never find faith by itself. You always find saving faith with fruit on its branches. So what is true faith? That was the question we started out with. True faith is being justified. We're made right with God because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But we're justified by the fact that you look like him, that your life is different, that you're, you're being shaped into his image, that you're stepping into the calling that he has on your life, you're maturing. And look, we all go through struggle. This is, this is not meant for you to turn around and be hard on yourself for the way that you've lived. This is all of us being honest about the struggle that it can be to find true faith. One last thing as we close. James, in the middle of chapter two, he kind of throws a bomb into all of this. And he's pointing out basically what he knows somebody's already gonna say. He says, somebody is gonna say that we believe that there's one God. See, back then it made more sense because there were hundreds of gods. But the Jews said that there is one God, Jehovah, Yahweh, one God. That same statement today would look something like this. I believe in God and all that stuff, but don't go down that road of telling me how I should live my life. Don't go down that road of telling me I should sacrifice. Don't go down that road of telling me I need to change things. I mean, same person that says, I know what I believe and I'm good. I know what I believe and I'm good. James says, hey, if that's what you're banking on for your salvation and your security is I know what I believe and I'm good, well, you know what? The demons believe the same thing and they tremble at God. So don't get, don't get trapped by a faith that outside of these doors on Sunday, you put in the drawer and you go on with everything else. Don't get trapped by, I think we do this sometimes, you don't get trapped by good theology. I understand it all. I know it all. I can give all the answers. Bible trivia, I'm great. World champion. Don't get caught by good theology and don't get caught by a faith that doesn't apply to every moment of your life. There's not, there's not a minute of my day that I don't want to be keenly aware that I'm walking with God, whatever it is that I'm going through. And it's in that closeness, that relationship with him, that your life will begin to change because your identity changes. See, the devil believes good theology. Ask yourself this, has the decision that you've made to believe in the justification of God by faith, has, has believing that led you to serve yourself? Or does that, understanding that as it takes root, does that lead you to serve other people? Are you seeing fruit on your branches of a new way of life? So yes, one of our values here at Ocean City Church is Jesus is everything. We believe that. And if you take nothing else away, today know that we believe Jesus is everything, but we can take our confidence today 
and seeing that there's actually change in our lives. There will be a church that's marked by what it sees in our actions, not the things that we declare on social media. We can all do that. But what does the rest of the world see? Think about the big criticism of the church. I'm going to end with this. As much as Jesus believed that if he gave his life for you, that you'd be saved, you think about Jesus prayed for for us before he went to the cross. As much as he believed that if he gave his life to you, you would be saved. It wasn't until he actually gave his life that we are saved. And so Jesus is faith working faith working. He gave everything. Let's stand. Father, we we thank you for that, God. Just even pausing and thinking in that moment, you gave everything. When the time came, you didn't hold back. We just thank you today that your love is poured out lavishly on your people. God, would we be people that understand identity, what it means to be rooted in you. God, would we also be people that understand activity, that as we're rooted in you, God, we would would walk in the calling that you've called upon our lives. And I just thank you that we're not alone in that effort. God, we don't walk out of these doors and just go and try and do all of this in our own strength and our own mind and with our own energy. But God, you are with us. Would we know that? Would we feel that today? Would we feel your closeness, God, as we respond this morning?